Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one, two, pitch. Strike him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, September the 8th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Sylvia. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It would be greatly appreciated. Welcome back, everybody. It seems like we just had the podcast, The Ultimate Gut Punch. That was the name of it after the wild 24 to 48 hours that the Mets had in uh, Washington, D.C. after that historic bullpen collapse on Tuesday night and the great win the following uh, day game. Uh, Today, uh, it's going to be a little bit of a mix here with the show on this Sunday, the regular uh, segment. We're going to have a feature and a new contributor to the show uh, somebody that we haven't had on yet, uh, Rustin Dodd of The Athletic, a uh, features writer for The Athletic New York, will join me. He's uh, recently written in the last few weeks two pieces, one uh, th- just a few days ago, 
looking at uh, the season of Pete Alonso, basically. And this has really been the season of Pete Alonso, even though he didn't come through today with a big hit. He got on base again. He tied the Mets record for most consecutive games of uh, getting on base with Daryl Strawberry and Jose Reyes. So uh, really since last October, it's been the season of Pete Alonso when he had a chance to talk to a number of people, even uh, down to the host families uh, in the minor leagues of, uh, you know, who... uh, who had, who had experiences with Pete and got a chance to know him a little bit better. So you'll hear that in just a bit. Rustin also had an opportunity to do a feature in late August on the Brooklyn Cyclones experience. And I thought that would be something to bring up as well. The Cyclones battling for the New York Penn League Championship. And, uh, you know, it's always a unique experience in Brooklyn. And with uh, uh, Rustin having spent a lot of time in the Midwest covering the Royals, Someone from out of town get their perspective on the Cyclones and that ballpark and the experience that the players go through. Essentially, their first big league uh, experience. That's that's what it is for the most part, uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones. So you'll hear that feature with Rustin Dodd in just a little bit. Also later on, uh, you heard me on his show with Jonathan Friedman, and you'll hear me on, I'll hear him on this show, Jeff Lax. From 77 uh, WABC's Talking Sports, Saturday nights, 10.30 to 12.30, 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. He'll join me. You'll hear Jeff, a clip from uh, last night's show. Jeff really unhappy with Brody Van Wagenen. I'll debate him a little on that, and we'll have uh, some fun. Jeff actually joined me in the middle of the Mets game, in the middle of all that nearly five-hour craziness that transpired this afternoon. We were supposed to do a segment after the game. The game went so long, I'm like, hey, let's just let's just do it during the game. So you hear uh, my, uh, my spot with Jeff Lax from 77 WABC. But let's start out. I mean, look, it's amazing that you had a game today that lasted longer than all the 1 o'clock and into the 4 o'clock NFL games. First NFL season, uh, first week of the NFL season here. On this September 8th, uh, all you guys are probably dialed into your fantasy football teams, watching the Jets, watching the Giants, Red Zone. Here We're talking baseball here, and the Mets played this historically long baseball game. And I know what everyone's saying. I hear Gary Cohen saying it. Uh, I see the articles being written. Oh, September baseball, thank God it's the last year that you're going to be dealing with this. It's so bad. I- I've never really been bothered by the increase in roster. I think it's just been the last couple of years with it really getting crazy. These these teams have figured out, well, why don't we just... And I don't think anyone ever intended for it to be all 40 slots to be filled. It used to be, if you go back to like the late 80s, early 90s, you'd get maybe a top prospect get brought up, a couple of arms to help out, a veteran that had a good year at AAA that was trying to get back to the big leagues. Essentially, these guys were getting early spring training type exposure. The old saying is don't believe what you see in March and September when it comes to teams that all teams in March and spring training and then these players in September when the majority of these teams are out of the race because you don't know if that's really that's not real. That's not real baseball. Now, everybody's specialized in, and whatnot. So you've got this situation where you got these big rosters. It'll be down to 28 next year. I don't blame the rosters on a lot of this. You saw this today. Once you got into the bullpens in the fifth, sixth inning for both these teams, Mets had a a really good lineup out there today. Philly's not so much, but the Mets bullpen has been so bad. That's why you have five-hour ugly ball games. It's bad bullpens. I I really think it comes down to that. 
if you had a Jacob deGrom or a vintage Noah Syndergaard outing, I'm not sure this would have been a five-hour game. It might have been a – certainly suspect it would be a way different outcome. When the Mets score seven runs, they should win. They did not. But again, it goes back to, like I said, the formula of uh, how this team needs to win, and it starts with strong starting pitching, which they've had for the most part since the All-Star break. Now, that'll get me into where we're at with this very disappointing home uh, start to the homestand, losing two out of three to the Phillies. Uh, with the Phillies and Arizona and Milwaukee now being two back of the Cubs in the loss column, Mets four. Mets are behind four teams, and uh, they're the uh, where you thought maybe Milwaukee or Arizona would fall back, and the Mets could really make their push. The Mets are the team now that has fallen back, and I'll, I don't think they're out of it. But uh, as the summer turns to fall and we're into football season. The Mets' odds and the percentages of them making the playoffs continue to really go stacked against them. But as I said, they got to continue to play this as if it's playoff baseball. It's important for uh, this core to continue to develop and 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 play these games with importance. It's as much again about 2020 as it is 2019. A lot of you probably want to get into Mickey Calloway's managing today with whether it be his decision to pinch hit for uh, Noah Syndergaard with Todd Frazier. I knew that would be, if he didn't come through Frazier and he swung a ball four, uh, it would be a problem because they were getting into the bullpen early and they they really were going for the juggler there and hoping that you score a crooked number and, and then the bullpen could withstand it. When that didn't happen, you went into the bullpen and that's when the trouble started. And, and then, of course, later on with uh, intentionally walking uh, to get to Bryce Harper. And, 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 and that's really, again, these moves... I'm not saying that I agree with with all the moves Mickey makes. That's not why they lost. That's not why they lost two out of three. It goes back to, really, this podcast came about Friday night. A lot of the debate that we had on Twitter. And the whole Edwin Diaz, bullpen, Seth Lugo conversation that has started to happen. Because this Mets season, ultimately, will be judged by the lack of bullpen support that the offense and the starting pitching, both which have had outstanding runs at various times and not haven't always clicked together, but have started to click together more than, than not. And the way after Edwin Diaz, who had a Friday night where he looked like Edwin Diaz for every bit of that outing, except for two pitches, uh, the Segura pitch, which he laid out over the plate for Segura to go the other way, and then the poor decision to throw uh, uh, basically a, uh, uh, a meatball down the middle to uh, JT Real Muto, a slider that didn't slide. If I remember correctly, that was a slider that didn't slide. Uh, or maybe it was, a fa- no, it was a fastball he had thrown in, I believe. I have to go back to the pitch sequence. But at the end of the day, I think the reaction, and there was some horrible things out there on, on Twitter with fans really being nasty behind the dugout really inappropriate behavior going to a ball game. But the reaction by a lot of the fans on Twitter, well, you can't use Diaz. I said the other day, throw Diaz back in the sauce. And that's exactly what Mickey Calloway did. And I'm glad he did because you, you got, you're going to need this guy for 2020. And I know what you're saying. Well, you have Lugo. Well, I don't know if you have Lugo because it goes back to the utilization of Lugo and I know Diaz pitched a, a perfect uh, eighth inning today, struck out a couple, very low leverage outing. So maybe you saw a little bit more of who Diaz can be. But 
Edwin Diaz, the stuff he has, who he is, if you go, and I'm going to call it, give him the Mel Rojas treatment. If you remember back in 1998, Bobby Valentine, after the uh, Mets got blown out in Philadelphia in September, in the middle of the wild card race, Mel Rojas had a horrible outing. Valentine had seen enough. Rojas had been kerosene on the fire for, for weeks and maybe months by that point. And for about a year, he had been disappointing after coming over from uh, the Chicago Cubs to, to be essentially a d- double closer, co- sort of like what the Mets are doing, what we're hoping to do with Familia and, and Diaz at that time with John Franco. And he, he benched him. He was done with them, and he never pitched for the Mets again. They wound up trading him the following year, and he was quickly out of baseball. That's not going to happen. Ross was more at the end of his career. Diaz is still early in his career. And for you guys to want to put him on the island or put him in as a mop-up guy or even waste him really on on today where a game that you were trying to keep it close. I'm not saying it was a total waste, but you want to use him and Lugo in opportunities when you could win. That's just not what I think Edwin Diaz is about. And I have no problem with Mickey going with him to close. If Lugo, he wasn't available. He had not recovered from uh, the back-to-back in Washington. Keep going out there. Keep working on it. His stuff is too good. It will get better. I'm not convinced that he's too sensitive for New York. The media is going to go that route because the media wants this trade to be a disaster and they want a scapegoat and they want a story. And picking on Diaz is a good story. Just like picking on Mickey today is a good story. This is not big picture. This isn't the problem. Mickey's moves in game, uh, at times they're 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 questionable. Every manager has questionable moves. Uh, Diaz and his handling of New York, I really don't believe, and maybe I'll prove wrong, they know that internally. Brody knows that. Phil Regan knows that. Mickey knows that. Uh, Mickey went on Mike Francesa's show and had a very interesting interview uh, with Mike on Friday. It doesn't seem to be that that's the case. And even if it was, I'm not sure Mickey would be completely honest about it. Benching this guy and putting him completely out of the equation is not the answer. Now, one of the things that has come up on Twitter is maybe now that he's not the closer, not knowing when he's coming in, not knowing his role is a problem. I agree with that. That may be contributing as he works on his mechanics and gets better. That may be contributing to some of this stuff. Uh, be that as that may, he lost that job fair and square to Lugo. But that really ties into the other issue here, which is Seth Lugo, where the more I look at it and the more I think about it, Seth Lugo's not the answer coming out of the bullpen. And if you go back and look at his career, yes, he has been extraordinarily better out of the bullpen than as a starter. Uh, But Lugo, every time he's had an opportunity to start, and it's been a couple of years since he started on any kind of consistent basis, that was in 2017. He's given you every bit the performance that you could expect from a Zach Wheeler, the 2019 version of uh, Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz, and Marcus Stroman. The only bar he hasn't hit is Jacob deGrom, and, you know, that's that's a high bar at that at this point. He knows how to pitch. Uh, he has multiple pitches. Uh, I believe uh, as you stretch him out, he'll be able to uh, potentially go six innings. Uh, I don't know. You know, he's going to probably finish with about 80 innings this year. I don't know how many innings you could expect out of him next year. But even if you got 140, 150 innings, maybe you got 25 starts out of him, uh, something along those lines, maybe you skip him a few times, limit him to five innings and others when there's blowouts. I think uh, the future of Seth Lugo is going to be in the starting rotation, not in the bullpen. Because as Mickey said on Mike Francesca's show on Friday, uh, 
you have to know what you have with uh, Lugo out of the bullpen, which very few back-to-backs, some situations where he may need to go uh, two days rest in between, doesn't lend itself to being a, a true uh, closer. You could co-close with Diaz at some point with that when they you know play off of each other. He's more ways he's like an opener in some cases, really, if you think about that. And I'm, I know Mickey's against the opener, and I'm not quite sure I'm all for the opener. But this is why Diaz is so important to the 2020 bullpen and why I know you're in a race right now. I know there's still hope. I know that there continues. And Friday, if, if Alonso doesn't walk it off, literally, that's another gut-punching loss. But you've got to fix Diaz, and you've got to force him back into the action, and you've got to basically say, hey, you're going to make it here. You've got to get over this adversity. The fans booing, the lack of support at home you're going to get, the intensity that comes up with uh, road games, uh, the, the, the thought in the back of your head that every mistake, and, and Mickey said it on Friday, every mistake that Diaz has, has produced uh, has been hit, especially the last couple of months. And I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think the law of averages says it won't continue. But so far, we've been wrong about that. But again, what you saw today, and this is the main overarching theme of why they lost today, and really the issue, as you saw it all weekend, even though they were shut down on Saturday, they could have easily lost on Friday. So if you want to say Friday and Saturday even, even themselves out, so be it. This team has zero, zero young arms coming up that could be reliable out of that bullpen. Zero. None of these guys that were left to the cupboard, that were acquired via via trades, have, in my opinion, have very little use. They have live arms. They may have some good results down in uh, the minors. None of them have shown me they can pitch in the big leagues, not even situationally. Right now you have Avilon, you have Wilson, you have Diaz, you have Familia, you have Lugo, um, and, and that's it. And Familia. And that's it. And those are all the acquired guys. So that's the issue. And that's why you need Diaz. Because if I saw John Harper write, well, you know, do what the Yankees did with Sonny Gray and just give Diaz away to get him out of here. Addition by subtraction. Oh, really? So who's going to take over for him? Tyler Bashler? Nagosek? Zamora? Seawald, I've liked Seawald in the past, but every time I try to say, you know, this guy's turning the corner, you see the outings that he's had the last two times. Walker Walker Lockett, I mean, is that who's going to take over for Diaz? So, really, the issue here is, this is a marriage that has to work. There's no if. He's still going to be relatively inexpensive. He's arbitration eligible. He's young. He's got great stuff. And unless he's hurt, which could be, I know he's got the bone spur in his elbow. Maybe that's something they could clean out in the offseason. Everybody's tied together. So let's make it work. And if the fans are going to have the attitude and the media is going to have the attitude, let's beat this guy with the proverbial stick and throw him off the island. That's wrong. The media I expect that from. I'm not expecting the fans to tolerate and not be upset about the blown saves. I'm not saying that. But if in your mind, you're done with this guy, it's time to vote him off the island, let's let's get rid of him, I don't want to see him anymore, he can't handle New York, I'm not convinced of that, nor am I ready to, uh, to, to say it's time to do that. We're a long ways away from that. 
Maybe you make his role something different. Maybe he's a setup man. Maybe he's a seventh inning guy. Maybe that's how you come back with him, even going into next year. But he needs to be part of this bullpen because you're not going to have enough of, a, of an ability through free agency, through trades, through your own system to build a bullpen that, in my opinion, unless this guy and Familia and Wilson and uh, and we'll see about Lugo because I think Lugo is going to replace either Syndergaard or Wheeler in the rotation in 2020. That's what I my prediction is. Lugo will be in the rotation. So all those three guys, the other ones, the Familia, the Wilson, Diaz, are going to be three components, essential components to that bullpen. And right now, I'm more bullish on Diaz than I am Familia because I know Familia has a shoulder impingement. And, you know, he's got miles on him, Familia. Diaz, even though he has a little bit of mileage, not quite as much. So that's where, you're, where I'm at. We talked about this during the Gut Punch podcast. Uh, we talked more about the react. I thought we got more into the reaction versus really what you know happened with Diaz, but that's where I'm at with uh, the Edwin Diaz situation and my thoughts on the bullpen and what happened this weekend, specifically on Friday night. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Rustin Dodd of the Athletic, the season of Pete Alonso. That's what we're in the midst of. Regardless of how things end up, this will always, in my opinion, be. Remembered as the season of Pete Alonso. He had a chance to catch up with a number of individuals that have been important in Pete's development from uh, high school all the way to the big leagues, through the minor leagues, etc. He also had a chance to talk about the Brooklyn Cyclones experience over at the Athletics. So I thought it'd be a cool feature here as we uh, go down the stretch in the 2019 baseball season. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. He's got 30 go-ahead RBIs now, which leads the, the National League. Is there something unique that he does as a rookie that allows him to be as successful as he's been in the bigger moments? Yeah, well, number one, he's got 45 homers and 100 RBIs. And, and that's been known that, hey, this guy's going to do some damage. So already the pitchers with runners in scoring position are, you know, they're, they're, they're feeling it. Um, two, for most of the season, he stays through the middle of the field. A lot of his RBIs come for the big part of the field, and he takes a great approach and covers a lot of pitches. You know, he can hit a ball down like we were talking about. It's okay to expand at times when you're an RBI guy. You know, you don't wait for the next guy. You go out there and you expand a little bit. He does a great job of taking the ball just off the plate and driving it or going down just under the zone and, and getting it in the air. So he just has a, a real knack for driving in runs. He's kind of always done that. Um, and, and then I'm sure the pitcher's like, oh, no, it's Pete Alonzo coming up. We're back, and joining us, first time on the program, features writer for The Athletic New York, uh, formerly of uh, Kansas City, Rustin Dodd. You can check him out on Twitter, at Rustin Dodd. Uh, recently had some really good pieces on Pete Alonzo and the Brooklyn Cyclones, but a lot of other stuff there uh, that you should check out. Rustin, welcome to the program. Uh, first Sunday uh, football season, but here we are in New York, still talking baseball. Uh, I, I, it's nice, actually. Uh, <laughs> as a former resident of a town where that was not the case, where things m became football season in like mid-August, um, it is uh, it, it's kind of nice to be gearing up for October and, and still be thinking about baseball. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I, I, the Mets are obviously, we'll see what the next few weeks bring, but regardless, unless something drastically changes, this is the season of Pete Alonso. 
Uh, a lot of articles coming out about Pete ever since uh, he broke the Mets home run record and, and may break the rookie home run record. And you had a chance to uh, dive into Pete Alonzo. And here's the thing they take away. You went all the way back to high school, his host family. You know, you really dived into, you know, the, the growing up in baseball for Pete Alonzo. And you had no shortage of people willing to talk. That's amazing. That's probably not common uh, for, you know, doing features and what have you. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's not uncommon, but it's I, I people – the the one sentiment that I got from most people is that hey we love Pete uh, and he's not only that we you know we we think he's a character and funny and there are there are like we'd like to share these stories, um, but yeah I mean I I had uh, I was just sort of interested in him obviously he's having a great year but I was just around the Mets briefly over the last few months and it felt like every you know like he, every line that he had felt like it was like the perfect line and he had this sort of sensibility about him that he's really loved baseball. And he just felt like the kind of the perfect rookie, not in just in terms of like, like he was not, he's Pete Alonzo is not polished in the sense of, you know, he's got, you know, like a, like you would think of like a franchise quarterback who's been in the NFL for 10 years or something like that. But he's, he's perfect in the sense of baseball. Like he is the, the epitome of what you think of when he comes to a baseball player. So I kind of wanted to just kind of get into that idea and talk to people that knew him a lot better than I did, obviously, and see if, if what was there. And that sort of was kind of the, the genesis of the story. And the thing I take away, and I haven't interviewed Pete, but I've interviewed other stars in this town and, you know, seen Mets come and go. And David Wright just retired a year ago. He's, He's genuine. He doesn't come across phony. He doesn't come across rehearsed, but he's not unpolished to the point where he's inappropriate. He's very unique. Honestly, you know, listening to you answer the prior question, I'm waiting for the catch. I mean, nobody is like this. Uh, That's the thing. Nobody in sports. And maybe year one is going to be a lot different than year 10, you know, God willingly that he's still around. Um, I mean, is that the thing you took away? I mean, where's the catch here? Where's the bad? There's got to be yeah, some, well, always, we're cynical. <laughs> you know, we're cynical here. Right. I mean, he is, he does sort of have a youthful uh, enthusiasm about things. And I think he likes uh, the, the, I don't want to say the attention necessarily, but I, I think he likes everything about being a major league baseball player. I think he just likes the life. Uh, and that comes with being the guy, you know, the guy that answers questions, the guy that, thinks about the season and and like the terms of arc of a story and and on all those sort of things and he and he does all that i you know I'm, I'm sure he'll at some point maybe tire of that just a little bit but i i do think that he sort of embraces that uh in the same way that you know david wright did or uh aaron judge does or uh you know Derek jeter did and you know just i named team leaders i suppose from any team but i think he understands sort of the responsibilities that come with that so um, I, we'll see if there's a catch, but I, I'm, I, I don't know that there will be one. We'll see. Rustin Dodd of The Athletic, uh, features reporter for The Athletic New York, joining me, had a, a great piece on Pete Alonzo. The, the season of Pete Alonzo really uh, also had a chance to dive into uh, a little jewel that sometimes gets forgotten outside of New York, which is the Brooklyn Cyclones. Uh, you know, Pete Alonzo's story even as recent as a year ago, he's tearing up the minor leagues with home runs. Even here in New York, there was doubt whether there was anything there. And, you know, I saw a quote from a former coach in your piece that you know, he's got power. He was the third baseman at some point, and, and he was shocked that he didn't get drafted at a high school. 
this is even though this should have been something that happened and he should have been given more attention. It amazes me that he generally has been ignored and, and maybe discounted throughout his entire career. And maybe he still will be because he's a first baseman and sometimes the value isn't there in today's game. But nobody's really paid attention to him. And he's like this diamond right in front of you in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think there's something. I mean, so in, in high school, uh, I mean, I, he could hit. Obviously, he was from Tampa and, and scouts saw him because, you know, if you play at a great high school in Tampa, scouts are going to see you. Um, I think, you know, he, he went undrafted. I, the way I understand it, I, I think if, you know, if he was not a top, you know, two or three or four round pick in the eyes of scouts, right? Because he was, he hit right-handed. Uh, he was not, he could not run really. And, and the, there were defensive questions. Where is he going to play? He plays third base, but not particularly well. So is he going to end up at first base? What does that look like? Is he going to hit enough to do that? You know, all those sort of baseball questions. So, I mean, I, I think Scott saw him as, as a guy that really could hit, and obviously he went to Florida, so <laughs> they, they understood how good he was as well. Uh, but he was not going to be drafted in the first three or four rounds, so then it was, became pretty clear that I think, you know, he was going to college, so then – he just, you know, he could have been one of those guys that, you know, gets drafted in the 32nd round and doesn't sign, but he, he, that just wasn't the case, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it is interesting that he was not, and I guess this is true of, if you look at other first basemen, you know, as I was kind of doing some research for the story, you know, like Paul Goldschmidt was, I guess, the, sort of the same way, uh, you know, and there's a, there was another one that has been brought up, um, just like first, you know, college first baseman. They come into the minor leagues at 22 or 21. Their their hit tool is very clear. They have power. For some reason, those guys sort of get downgraded in the eyes of the guys that create the prospect lists. And um, you know, and when we think about you know future stars, for whatever reason, and maybe it's because first basemen have to hit so much. Maybe it's because you know you can find lots of guys at AAA who are crushing pitches. Uh, that that it doesn't translate to the major league level. Um, so maybe there was some of that, but when you just think about it and what he did at the minor league level, and then what he's done from from the first instance he got up in the major leagues, which is which is unbelievable to me too, because you know some guys it takes you know you know two or three hundred at bats to get comfortable. No, he was he was comfortable from day one. So. Certainly people missed something, but I think what they missed was sort of the work ethic and the makeup. I mean, I know that's a little uh, cliche, uh, but that that he was, you know, so determined to kind of be the guy, um, and he just knows how to hit. Absolutely. Rustin Dodd of The Athletic joining us. You, you, you know, obviously the headline is about the goofiness and the personality, and we've seen that on display with this shirt coming off, but – Every story, whether it be yours or some of the others that have come out over the last couple of weeks, talks about the work ethic, talks about how – and it, it surprises me because here you are. I, I read something about the Arizona Fall League. Prospects, highly regarded guys that, you know, here they are. There's their chance to impress a lot of people. And Pete's out there taking ground balls, sweating while others are taking selfies and kind of relaxing. And you've been around a game a while. Uh, it's funny because you would think that would be an environment where everybody's working, but it's not. And, and, and while people are ignoring him, he's out there trying to work on the one part of his game, which let's face it, if he hit 35, 40 home runs, it was a clunker at first. Uh, look, it would be a problem, but there'd be an American League team that would scoop him up or the Mets would have traded him for something that would fit them. No, he's like, I, I want to play first base. He wants to be the complete player. And 
you would think, and the average fan would think that's common, but you know, reading a lot about him, this this is special because you've been around the game. Not every put, not everybody puts the time in on their weaknesses. Yeah, well, one of his teammates at Florida, uh, Logan Shore, was joking that, um, and this was true, but he was joking about it was that you know at Florida they would have these like sort of light workouts where they, you know, would, it was like kind of the equivalent of a baseball walkthrough. Maybe they would go out and like hit BP and do some shagging or something. Uh, And, you know, like afterwards the the equipment manager, kind of like the clubhouse guy would be doing the laundry and he would be like, Pete, like what, like why were you like, why is your stuff so sweaty and dirty? We did not really do anything today. Um, And, and so, yeah, those guys, they were like, they, he would. You just. Not only did he have this sort of personality and the goofiness, um, but he had like sort of this, this sort of desire to go out and and work every day and to get sweaty and 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 put the work in. So um, he certainly. And I think that's one reason why, you know, you have to give some credit, I suppose, to the, some of the veterans on the Mets team. I know baseball is different these days. You, young players are allowed to kind of come up and be themselves. Uh, maybe more so than they were 10 or 15 years ago. But I think part of the reason that the the clubhouse with the Mets has allowed him to be kind of Pete uh, is because he does show up every day with a great attitude and, and with a lot of energy and he, and he puts in the time. So if, if he's going to back it up that way, then they're going to allow him to, to be, you know, the guy that's ripping the jerseys off of J.D. Davis and Michael Conforto and doing interviews without a shirt on and, and those sort of things. I, I, it's, they, I think they understand that this is, this is who the guy is. It's genuine. So let's let him be Pete. And, you know, this to me could be – I mean, listen, he's right now he's the face of the Mets because he's performing. And if he continues to for, perform, you know, he will be. But you've been around other locker rooms. His attitude at who he is, the, forget the work, that's a big part of it. That's usually not the guy that's the face of the team. That's usually the guy that's, uh, uh, you know, a, a 1A or B. You know, you get so much more David Wright. And to me, I just reading what you have put out there and others and, and just watching him all year, I know he's a first baseman. Uh, but to me, this is – everyone was talking about Conforto as the guy to replace Wright. Or maybe they don't have somebody to replace that that person. To me, he's there, and he was under their nose. It's just, it's just amazing to me because I never would have figured this, even in spring training when he was hitting, even the home runs. I think it wasn't until around the All-Star break that you started to have to say, you know, this is serious. This guy is really the, the next generation of, uh, you know, Mets captain, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I, I didn't necessarily ask enough uh, people with the Mets to have a great feel for this, but I, I, mean, I think they sort of understood that he had these qualities and characteristics. I mean, uh, you know, there's the stories of um, him being around David Wright and when, when David Wright was rehabbing um, and him sort of, I don't, I don't saying taking him under his wing would be an overstatement. Right. But, 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 but like offering sort of, you know, important advice or at least just important motivation. Um, and then obviously the stories with Mike Piazza too, uh, you know, a guy that uh, Pete had grown up sort of, watching and, and idolizing in a way. And, and I think the Mets, I mean, obviously every organization is sort of going to do that. They're going to put their former stars around their young players. But I think it was in this, in, in this case, it was calculated in a way to, to try to have some of that stuff rub off on him and uh, have him understand that like, you know, this is what's expected of him. And, and this is, you know, the guy that we think you can be down the road. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 
I think, I guess it's kind of the stuff that most teams do, but I, I guess the organization gets a little bit of credit for cultivating this, uh, and maybe understanding that, hey, we'll, we don't we don't know exactly how this guy is going to be, but we think he's got a lot of talent, so let's let's kind of prepare him for for everything. Rustin Dodd of the Athletic. Uh, before we switch gears here and and talk about another great piece you did about uh, the experience in uh, Brooklyn, uh, was there anything about Alonzo that you walked away that you you learned? I mean, obviously you learn about it in every piece, but you go in with expectations and then you come out. I was wondering if there's anything that you walked away with that you weren't, you were surprised with, or, you know, maybe uh, you weren't expecting. Yeah. Well, I, I did think this is, uh, so one thing that the, and I, have, I mentioned this early in the story, but the, you know, uh, one of his minor league teammates and then a couple of, uh, you know, they, they, there was like a recurring theme and then his host parents in the Cape, they all mentioned how, you know, Pete didn't have a shirt on a lot. Uh, and so, and, and like, you know, this was just sort of a kind of a funny anecdote. I thought to, to portray his goofiness. So, so I mentioned that in the story and, you know, I mean, like, I guess it's not uncommon for this, but anyway, my, I guess my point is I'm, I'm sort of like 90% sure that this is, you know, a, a trait that he's very known for, but it's also, you know, I've talked to like 10 people in his life and five people have said it and it could just be a small sample thing. So but then, you know, like a day later, he was doing a post-game interview without a shirt on. So I was, I was quite happy that uh, that seems to really, really be the case. <laughs> Absolutely, that's it was it was a great piece over at the Athletic, Rustin Dodd. Hey, switching quick gears here, um, just a couple of questions before I let you go. You wrote another piece about the Cyclones, and I grew up in Brooklyn. You know, I've been a New Yorker all my life. I know you spent a good deal of time uh, covering sports in the Midwest, as you mentioned earlier. And it was funny because as I'm reading the story, you mentioned how minor league baseball is more known for where, you know, the Midwest. And I remember as a kid going to Scranton and Rochester and, and places like that to see minor league games. And you always think of, you know, the middle of nowhere or middle America. And here you are, you have this, this team that if anyone who hasn't been there or has been from another part of the country, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a New Yorker and you could disagree if you do, there's passionate fans going to that game. They, they enjoy that team. They want to see that team win. Maybe not as much as the Mets or the Yankees, but they close. I've seen that uh, with my own eyes. I was wondering if you took that away going through this, uh, this story, talking with former and current Cyclones and, and really taking in the experience uh, out in Coney Island. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And I, I think they're, if not passionate for the on-field success, they're certainly passionate for the experience. Um, of just, you know, hopping on the subway and, and going down to Coney Island and kind of hanging out in this little sliver of, of, uh, of New York. Um, and, and the stadium is great and, and it's right on the beach. And I, I don't know, like, I, I, don't, I was just trying to think of how many, you know, I, I don't, I, I was trying to think if there are even other minor league stadiums essentially on a beach and there might be some down in like the Carolina league or, you know, like, um, some teams down there and maybe, maybe even like a Gulf coast league team or something, but that's rare in and of itself. And then you add in the city element. Um, and you know, I was mostly just sort of intrigued by the, these kind of 20 to 21 year olds who are, um, sometimes younger, um, spending the summer in Brooklyn and they're probably thinking, Hey, I'm getting into professional baseball. I'm going to be going to Beloit, Wisconsin or <laughs> somewhere, 
in Iowa or, you know, somewhere the like the Midwest League or somewhere in the Pioneer League out in like, you know, Idaho Falls. Um, and then, oh, it's like, I'm going to Brooklyn? Oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, like a couple of players, Colin McHugh of the Astros, was joking like you know you like you get there and you're like wow it's like i feel like i made it i'm like playing professional baseball in new york city and then you know one one guy on the team this year mentioned he's like i'm you know i'm flying in the first first time and i think he'd been to new york before but he's like i'm flying in you know and here's like the biggest city one of the biggest cities in the world and i'm coming here to like work and and i think there is just a like there is a, a, a cool element about that that experience of spending a couple of months here um you know, being a minor league baseball player. And I think hearing you write, reading you write about them, you know, I think it was Colin McHugh using the local deli or bodega, taking the F train uh, from Coney Island to, uh, you know, downtown Brooklyn, which some longtime New Yorkers might think at night after a game, like, should I really do that? I mean, it really throws them in what New York is about. And sometimes the Mets use Brooklyn as a way to market and they'll put guys there from what I understand that may be a little bit too old so they can win. I, I understand the importance of winning, but I think what is actually valuable and especially after reading what you've put together here is you throw them in the cauldron of what they're going to experience down the road. Now it's a small sample. It's not the total city field, big league experience, but the living environment around that's what they're going to be involved with. And if they can't handle it now in Brooklyn, it's only going to get worse. And sometimes we forget, especially you covering baseball a long time, the life outside of baseball is as much what gets these guys to where they're going to be as it is on the field. Cause they have to be able to manage both and, and handle, uh, you know, real life while they're trying to become a big league ball player. Right. I mean, it, it um, you know, I think I didn't talk to him, but I think that was the case for Brandon Nimmo. Um, I think he was a little uncomfortable his first maybe month, uh, with the Cyclones and then sort of settled in. And Seth Lugo, uh, who I did talk to, said that was the case for him. You know, he just, he's like when he got here, he was not comfortable at all. Um, and it was just totally foreign to whatever he'd experienced before uh, growing up in the South. And then obviously, you know, now he's he's totally comfortable in New York. It's it, it's different. But, uh, but there is, an, I think there is an element to that for sure. Rustin, what do you have coming up? You And anyone who hasn't had a chance to either subscribe to The Athletic or is subscribed, you should check out Rustin's work at Rustin Dot on Twitter. Uh, not just baseball, you did uh, some U.S. Open here. I see a piece about uh, MLB trade rumors. You even get into Jeff McNeil's dog if you want to get into the animal lovers, uh, Thurman Munson. Uh, so you've got a lot going on here. It's New York-centric. Give the listeners an idea of what to expect from you and, and obviously anything you got going on. Yeah, I, well, at least for the next month or so uh it'll probably be more or less baseball centric but there'll probably be some other things here and there uh some postseason stuff some stuff heading into the postseason and then i don't know we'll see i'm I'm, a lot of this is new to me as well but hopefully uh into the fall there will be some maybe some nfl stories and and then maybe some some uh some net stuff or some other you know other stories around the city so uh, hopefully we're just trying to find interesting little things that have, uh, that are, are not, maybe not necessarily being told. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, listen, for football Sunday, I'm sure you got your fantasy team and football lined up. Thanks for taking a few minutes with us here to talk some baseball. Uh, we'll, we'll be in touch again and, and look forward to having you on again. All right, my friend. 
No, thank you. I appreciate it. Enjoy this. All right. Rustin Dodd of The Athletic, at Rustin Dodd on Twitter. Uh, the Athletic, and, and again, like I always tell you guys when I have a paid site on, I have zero interest uh, in the site. I don't get paid in anything. I'm just trying to share good content, and, and I think if you go to Rust, not only Rustin, but there's tons of stuff that's uh, coming up here uh, for a really affordable price. And in, in this day and age with media being so dicey and um, you know supply and demand being out of whack, we all know that story. Uh, pay for something, especially this, and, and you might find out that it's uh, – It's a little bit better than what you normally would get uh, on a day-in and day-out basis. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Credit for going into that series, right? You'd say two out of three, I'd love it, right? That's what you want to do in every series. Take two out of three. Sweeps are unrealistic. That's not the realistic thing to expect to sweep. It's not. There's 20 games left. I know. know, The the other team gets paid, too. Every loss matters. So my point was, after that terrible night, they did come back and, and, and won yes, the next day in the day. that's not why I'm angry. Okay, so that, I'm, I was making sure that wasn't the reason. So why did they lose that game? I guess the guy came in and blew the... Who? Uh, What's his name? Uh, what is his name? What's his name? I forgot his I'll name I'll tell you already. his name. Yeah. His name is Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz. And, and wait a second. And and and, and how, how has Edwin Diaz done since then? He gave up another home run last night. Uh, he's been, he's, been, he's okay. been really bad. And how has Stroman been? Tonight, not very good. And how good. has Familia been? Oh, I haven't seen him like. And what do they all have in common? Can't get it done. No. What do? Yes, but what else do they all have in common? Yeah, home run they ball. were acquired oh. by whom? Oh. By whom? <laughs> by Brody Van. Now, what did I tell you two months ago? The key to the Mets winning is not playing Brody's guys. And what has been proven true? They win when they don't. When when Cano went down, they started winning. Remember? That's true. And when Diaz was taken out of the closer closers role, they started winning. Remember? Yeah. And when Familia didn't pitch in two yeah, weeks, yeah, they yeah. started winning. Remember? You're yelling at me. I I'm sorry. Because Brody is an idiot. And wait for him. I've been wait, rooting for the Wait a second. Match. Wait a second. I, I'm going to top all that tonight. <laughs> because do you know who outpitched Stroman tonight? Who did? Oh, was it was it Valdez? Or no, what? Anthony K. Oh, pitched his debut uh, in Toronto for the Blue Jays. Goes five innings, strikes out oh, eight. I think it was six. Gives up two runs, it, and and Stroman down my is getting because I'm angry because I was screaming mm. about this trade from day one. They gave up the Mets' fourth best prospect, and what does he do? He goes out and throws a gem tonight in Toronto. Hey, Marty. You know how you like to you can you know when you can throw something at somebody and they, you know that they're going to take the bait and go with it. Jeff just like he just reeled in a, a like a large mouth. If you're bass. if you're a Mets fan and you're I'm sorry I'm this is Marty's spot but I'm telling you if you're a Mets fan and you're watching Anthony K go out there tonight a month not two years <laughs> not three years one month after he was acquired and he goes and he throw and he strikes out eight guys in yeah, five innings he had a nice debut and on the same night you can't make this stuff up on the same night Stroman's getting lit up basically getting the Mets knocked out of the race. If you're a Mets fan, you are losing your mind. Yeah, I'm sorry. By the way, Marty, if you can't you can't see him, but that that was not just loud talk. That had facial emotion. Oh, I'm very. I listen. I've had enough of that. All right, we're back and joining me in the uh, actual middle of the Mets game. He had a chance to. Squeeze in a segment, uh, had a chance to be on his show uh, last Saturday. He's the co-host of Talking Sports 
every Saturday from 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. on 77 WABC. New alternative sports talk show that if you're not listening to, you should be. And uh, he's with me now. Jeff Lax at Giants Professor on Twitter. And as you heard coming in, a quick uh, clip. Jeff is not a Brody Van Wagenen fan. He is a Talking Mets podcast fan. Maybe not a fan of all my opinions, but he's joining us now. Jeff, welcome to the program. How you doing? Thanks for having me, buddy. That's definitely true. We don't always agree, but that's the fun of it. You know, I love you. You know, I'm a big fan of your show and the podcast, so it's all good. There you go. So listen, so you got this new talk show, and um, you know we, uh, cl- you know, clearly the Mets uh, losing here ten six as we record this. Uh, a tough weekend, losing two out of three as the first weekend of football hits. And uh, the summer goes into fall. The sun's setting on the Mets' chances here in the wild card appear. But like I've been saying, you know, this has been as much about next year as this year. Uh, you know, the, the odds of them making it have, you know, gone up and down. And, and I think winning and playing as well as possible throughout the rest of uh, 2019 is, is not just important for now. It's important for going into 2020. So I'm curious what you guys have been talking about over at Talking Sports on 77 WABC. <laughs> well, let me get one thing out of the way before we get into the substance of the mess. And that is that, and I don't want to make this seem like Johnny Carson or anything, but you know that I told you a couple of weeks ago that John's got five minutes for you. And I think the ultimate compliment, and I, and I know he loved you because that segment went about 15, 20 minutes. And it just, you know, for your listeners out there who, who already love you and for maybe some people who might be listening for the first time, uh, your analysis is spot on. We don't always agree. But the fact that John took a whole, like, 15, 20 minutes shows you that he was really enjoying it. He thought you were spot on in terms of, you know, the uh, analysis that you gave. So great job with that, and we hope we'll have you on again. I appreciate that. Now, you're not a Brody <laughs> Van Wagenen. Well, you're not a Brody Van Wagenen fan, obviously, from that, uh, that you know, clip that we played, the one that you have out there on Facebook and Twitter and what have you. Right. Uh, I got to tell right. you, I don't know what you want the guy, the guy to do. You know, he took the job in October. Uh, he didn't break it down, which would have been the easy way out, which is the way that in, in a lot of ways, and if you're a, a fan of the Miami Dolphins, you're seeing what tanking does in the NFL here week one. Uh, you know, he, he still hasn't really had a full year on the job. He's just starting to get around to rebuilding the scouting department. You've heard some reports about that. I know some of the free agent moves haven't worked out, uh, but I look back and I was going through the free agent list from the offseason, guys like David Robertson and Joaquin Soria, uh, and, I, and I just look at all the names and, and I look at the free agents that were available and I really don't have a second guess on, on any of the moves. And, and as I said in the opening, Edwin Diaz is so important to this pen for next year. They got to try to fix him because you can't tell me overnight, unless he's injured, that he's, uh, he's forgotten how to pitch. Well, let me just say, I am not a second guess kind of guy. I'm really not. I'm not one of those guys who – likes the move on day one, and then complains about it when it doesn't work out six months later. So I, I want to be – you can go on my Twitter, and you can see that I'm being honest about it. When he made that Cano move, I destroyed it from moment one. I thought it was a terrible move, not only for the future, which I think everyone agrees, but for the present. I mean, I thought Cano, Cano had two negatives against him, and we, we both know what they are, his age and, and the steroids. I, I never liked guys off steroids especially in the mid-30s. I hated that move. I thought the money commitment wasn't just a problem for the future, but now uh, I thought – I see, here's the thing. 
I think when decent teams or poor teams or mediocre teams, and I always thought this Mets team from day one was an 84-win team, when they go out and get stud relievers, I think it's a waste because I think there are other things to do first. They always needed a center fielder. They always needed other bullpen help. And if they would have complemented Diaz with other players like that, I would have been more supportive of it. But I was not – the way they went about it – and I, don't, I also don't blame, I want to say, Brody for not going out and signing Bryce Harper or any of those guys because I understand, as we all do, that there are certain limitations when it comes to this ownership. So I get that. But I don't think the moves he's made have been that great for this season that it was worth giving up three, four – top prospects for the next two. And, and you know what really drove me crazy was the fact that Anthony Kay goes out last night and pitches oh. well, outpitches Stroman on the same night. So that drive. That and and, and again, I, again, in a vacuum, I get that. I mean, he's pitching not in a pennant race for himself. Uh, I mean, the Rays aren't exactly uh, murderer's row. Uh, he's a good pitcher. Uh, I think if you have to be honest here, Anthony Kay, uh, and, and, and I'll back up by saying Stroman again, there's a move that was about as much this year as it was uh, next year, as it is for this year, because you could go back, Jeff, and moves that get made at the deadline, and I don't know what the stats are on this, it, it, it becomes very difficult when these guys transition for them to upheaval their lives and be the same. I mean, even Frank Viola, I bring back that trade that the Mets got him at the right. deadline. He was better the following year than he was the last three months of 1989. Right. And, um, you know, that's where the funny part, all these deadline deals, even with some of these relievers, a lot of them have struggled because now you're getting upheaval. You're going from one role to another. Uh, so I think, again, if you look at it in the prism of longer term where they were sort of rebuilding a little bit on the fly for 2019 without a lot of planning because the guy comes in in October, now 2020, he's had a year to evaluate. He didn't know what he had in Alonzo and McNeil. Uh, J.D. Davis he acquired, but he didn't think he'd be this good. I mean, the offense is actually – the thing that he was looking to fix has been – a lot better than you could expect. And I think it's a strength actually going into the off season. It's the bullpen hard to fix the bullpen. That really is the bane of this team's existence. And then the questions with the starting rotation. So, I mean, now he's on the clock. He's been on the clock. Of course, they won with, with the fans, but I think you have a better shot at evaluating him as you get into the off season into next year, because I think, you know what you have now. He was really dealing with a lot of question marks and he did it. And he did it that way. Well, I don't, you know, first of all, I agree with almost everything you just said, but I will say that I don't give him credit for not knowing what he had in Alonzo or McNeil. I mean, I, I think the whole point, and, and you see now the Mets are getting rid of, you know, scouts left and right, and I think that tells you something. And when you have Anthony Kay come out last night, and again, I don't think Kay should be doing this. I, I mentioned this on my, on my show last night, but when he comes out and just destroys the Mets farm system for basically, t- he thought, Tinkering too much with him. They, that was I don't a little like that exaggerated kind of headline. That's a little exaggerated. Headline. Uh, yeah, I mean, read what he said. He basically said that they were trying to they change. They were tinkering things. with him. Yeah, I understand. And Toronto told him just be, be yourself. I, you, it's, you know what? If it was in a vacuum, I say no big deal. But it happens so many times. It's just it's very frustrating to see a rookie come out and kind of have the guts to speak that way. It bothers me. It's not like I'm happy that he says these things. It's very frustrating to hear that. But I don't give – I don't look at it the way you do. I don't give Brody any credit for not being able to – because you're kind of right. Like, he almost didn't really – he was fighting not to have Alonzo start the season, if you remember, at first base. I mean, he did everything he could to get someone else there, whether Dominic Smith or anybody else. 
So I don't give him any credit for that. He almost traded McNeil. We, we know that. So I, I don't give him credit for that. I think these are Omar's guys. Not Omar. These, these are, these are uh, uh, now I'm blanking. <laughs> these are um, Sandy Sandy's guys. Right. Sandy's guy. I'm on Omar. These are Sandy's guys. And, you know, I, I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'm not being total, totally serious on my show when I say the key to winning is benching Brody's guys. Obviously, no, I understand that. But, you know, it is a little frustrating when every major acquisition that he made, and J.D. Davis was not looked at, let's be honest, as a major acquisition. It turned out nicely. But when all of them flopped to this degree, it's not like Familia has been pretty okay. It's not like Diaz has been okay. They've been horrendous. That's what bugs me, because I think he's miscalculated every single step. I think, what has he done right I mean, tell me what Brody, besides J.D. Davis, what has he done well? I think he did a great job with the draft, uh, getting high-end talent in those first three rounds. Now, he put a lot of eggs in the basket of three guys, and, and when, you know, whatever he got scrapped up left throughout the rest of the draft, uh, those three right. guys are elite. You know, Matthew Allen was someone that nobody thought they can get and sign. Everyone right. said he wasn't signable. Uh, you know, the J.D. Davis deal, I think he's been trying to beef up the analytics department with a guy like uh, Adam Gutridge out there. That was a big part of the J.D. Davis deal. I think as far as depth, uh, look, he went out there, and, and throughout the year you've seen guys like Adani Echeverria, Carlos Gomez. Uh, you know, He was going out there trying to plug the gap a little bit since they didn't have young, controllable players that he was given that could go in and fill in. Uh, you know, The bullpen is the, the prime example where – Basically, at this point, the Mets under Alderson, and maybe even going back to Omar, have not even been able to take failed starters and convert them into the bullpen. Now, you could say Seth Lugo's that, but Seth Lugo hasn't been a failed starter. He basically was put in there because they needed him. They needed him, and they had too many starters. I mean, on another team, Seth Lugo probably would have been been, been a consistent starter. Let's put it that way. He would have made and stated his starter at the whole point. So, look, it's incomplete. My point is it's incomplete. Uh, I, I don't think he, he – you know, there's certain moves you could question. I think the Cano move, it, when you look at it in the Bruce Swarzak prism, uh, you know, it's a no-brainer to take on Cano for those two guys. The Diaz thing well, I don't, with yeah, the two prospects, yeah, yeah. That, that was why they had to give the prospects, not for Cano. Those guys wouldn't even been on the table uh, if it wasn't for Diaz. And I think Diaz would have commanded something similar from another team. And look, I keep going back to the free agents. Robertson out for the year. Uh, you know, yeah, Britton and Adovino has, have gone to the Yankees and gone uh, and done well, but you can't base your offseason with going up against the Yankees and that brand and the bidding to, to fix your bullpen. And I'm not sure those guys would want to not close for a team other than the Yankees. That's the way I look at it. They're getting paid. Uh, there's a certain thing where I say, you know, are they going to come be a setup guy for the Mets? You know, once they got Diaz, of course. So I'm not really sure what you can do to fix the pen. I can tell you this. If you throw Diaz on an, off the island like the fans want to do, and, and or John Harper wants you to give him away for nothing just to get him out of here, I, I don't think that's going to make your bullpen better. And I'll tell you what, when he goes and does well somewhere else, you'll see the same people say, well, well, you know, maybe they made a mistake here. You know, that, that to me is where this goes wrong. This is where it goes awry. Well, I, I 100% agree with you on that point. I would say, I would say though, this. That if you go into next season, and I agree, you got to work on Diaz. I, you don't give up on a kid that age. I'm sorry with that kind of stuff, because you still see he's got electric, electric stuff. I mean, it's there. So I don't, I don't, I don't uh, give up on Diaz. But I would say this: you cannot go into next season 
with Diaz as your closer and Cano your three-hitter. You just can't do it. If they have that attitude that they're set at the three-hole with Cano and in the closer spot with Diaz, they're already basing their season on a huge, faulty mistake. In my opinion. I think Cano's out of the – I mean, he's out of the three-hole already. I think now that you got Alonzo, McNeil, I mean, today he's batting fifth. The lineup to me at this point, uh, it's going to be fluid. I don't even think Cano – I think Cano has become somewhat – I mean, component player may be the wrong word, but he's not – you're not relying on him now because of what has developed. I don't think anyone thought Alonzo McNeil was this good. I really don't. I think that's right. I think that's where the difference. If they knew they were this good, and they were confident in that, and they would have been criticized for assuming that. I think um, I don't know if they even make the Cano part of the deal. They may make the Diaz part. I don't know if they make the Cano part. I, I tell you that I really believe that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of they, they wouldn't have signed Jed Lowry. They would have put that money to better use. No, no question right. in my mind. Right, and that's a so freaky if, thing. If, so I mean, know. there's a lot of freaky things. Familia freaky thing. Diaz a freaky thing. Uh, I mean, look. But I mean, have this uh, Jacoby Ellsbury situation. If that were the Mets, I mean, geez, the 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 you know, forget it. everybody would be would be up in arms about it at this point. So yeah. it happens to other teams, happens to other GMs. I think Brody because he's a former agent, because he's new, because of what's happened over the last couple of years. And I hear what you're saying. He's benefiting from Alderson, uh, some of his his rookies, but. He's also been left very little in terms of depth and bullpen from him. And that was a theme throughout Alderson's entire tenure. And I think the Mets become very sleepy under Alderson. And I think Brody's gotten some energy going here. Uh, Maybe some of it we don't see. It's all on the back end. But I think he's trying to bring a little bit more energy and and big thinking to to this organization. Well, he's been creative. There's no question about that. I, I don't recall the last time I ever saw a team who that was five games under make a move for a top flight starter, you know, at the trade deadline. I mean, it, sure. it's a, it's an interesting, and it's a, listen, it's a different situation. I actually am on board with you on this issue because he is signed through next year and you probably do have to replace Wheeler. Uh, maybe, but uh, you know, it's, it's certainly unique. I mean, there's no question it's a unique approach. All right, last thing, because this is a big topic and you talk about it. You talk about the Wilpons and spending. And, yes, we know about – it's well-documented, the Madoff situation. They were in baseball purgatory between the bad contracts and, and their inability to spend for a while there when Alderson took over. That was truly a rebuild. And maybe they didn't even raise and rebuild completely. Maybe at that point they should have went and got rid of right before he got hurt and everything. I mean, that's the one thing this ownership group does not want to tank you got to give them credit for that. But then I look over here, Mets are 10th in payroll at $158 million. And then when you factor in, and again, that's according to um, a website called SpotRack. I mean, I, I'm going to, assuming they have the numbers. Then I go to Cots Contracts, and when you factor in uh, player benefits, the 40-man roster, the injured players, David Wright, things like that, these, this Cots Contracts factors in money going back to other teams. Uh, when you look at the luxury tax threshold, the Mets are almost $190 million. The luxury tax is at 206. They're not going to go to the luxury tax. Now, insurance doesn't change the luxury tax. They can't have insurance pay the luxury tax. They're not skimping. Yeah, they have some bad contracts, and Wright certainly falls into that. But Cespedes has gone after another year. They have some money going against Cano. I think they figured out Cano really is costing them, I think, $15 million a year when the money factored in with Seattle going back. 
DeGrom is a big chunk after this year as he goes all the way up at one point to $36 million. I think you'd say he's worth it. Yeah, guys are going to get expensive, yeah. but I mean, there's not a, I mean, it's, they got flexibility. If they have to trade guys or let guys go, I mean, in two years, they only have $69 million committed. And out of that $69 million, 36 is Jacob DeGrom. That's hardly anything. Right. So they're spending. Maybe you could make the argument they don't like to go long term with a Harper type contract, but both Harper and Machado, to me, I just don't think those were guys that if you're going to give 13 year contracts, there's very few people that you do that with 10 year contracts. And other than Mike Trout, I don't see too many people in baseball. Though. And even Pete Alonso, he said, I'll, I'll sign for 10 years right now at a discount. I would say no, because it's 10 years. A lot could happen in three years, never mind a decade. Yeah. Yeah, that's a listen, that's a really tough call. I was one of those people who was begging to sign Syndergaard to one of those 10-year contracts. I know that there are immense risks, especially with a pitcher for things like that. I would do that with Alonzo, uh, you know, only because of his age and his upside. But I hear you. I mean, ideally, you don't want to do anything like that. But I totally agree with you on Harper. I mean, 13 years is absolutely ridiculous. You could argue he wasn't even worth close to that now, this year. And if that's the case, then you really, you know, messed up. And the Phillies are on the fringes of a pennant race. It's not like it's obvious you put them over the top. So if you're going to waste the first few years, if they don't make the playoffs or beyond in the first few years of Harper, then they, they really screwed up. So I do agree with you on that. But I, I got to say one more thing on this issue, and that is I wasn't, again, one of those people who started complaining after the Madoff scandal. I thought it was a disgrace the way they treated the, the Piazza era. I mean, I always felt that they never provided Piazza with support on the – I always felt they were one bat away from being a legitimate perennial World Series contender. Those teams. And when you support Piazza with Benny Agbayani, as much as I love the guy, that's a disgrace. And that was well before Madoff. And my problem with the Wilpons is they always try to do, in my, in my opinion, just enough, just enough. Uh, to compete or put fans in the seats with no real interest in going over the top and getting that championship. That's my issue with that. Well, and I'll tell you what, if the agent Brody can't convince them when it's the right investment, when it's responsible to do that, then maybe nobody can. Because look, if you're an agent and you ran a department and you left all that money on the table, and I'm sure you got a good piece and maybe even got a, you know, you don't know what his contract is. Maybe even got a a small piece of ownership in this thing because it's a lot of money he left on the table. Uh, as an agent, and I know that's commission based, and that could go away. But I was surprised that an agent would take this job, and and even though he's been paid well, it's a huge salary downgrade, uh, despite the fact it's a prestigious upgrade in a lot of ways. So if he can't do it, then nobody can. I mean, that's the the way I look at it. So Jeff, what do you guys got? So seventy seven WABC uh, at Jonathan Friedman is uh, the the uh, at John Sports Talk. Jonathan Friedman, he's the host. A Giants professor, that's you, uh, uh, Jeff Lax. Uh, you also do some funny phone calls, which we've played on the program. Let everybody know where they could find you and, and what's going on over there. Yeah, so I'm kind of like John's sidekick. So it's every Saturday night at 1030 on 77 WABC. It's Talking Sports. This one does have a G. I know you don't have a G, but this has a G uh, with John <laughs> right. Freeman. And he's at, at uh, John Sports Talk, and I'm at Giants Professor. And, yeah. I appreciate you pumping my funny phone calls, my prank phone calls. You can find those and just Google funny freaking with a G, funny freaking calls on iTunes, on Amazon, it's on every service pretty much. So 
Thanks for All having right. me bug that. I do appreciate that. Uh, 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m., alternative sports talk to the usual. I even think you got expatriate phone callers going on there. Uh, I guess <laughs> people could call in. Maybe I'll even uh, be a guest here and there on. Unwinding Definitely. on a Saturday night, and, and then during football season when there's no baseball, it's a good way to prep for uh, football Sunday. So looking forward to more of that and hot stove and having you on, and, and it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. All right. Jeff Lax, uh, Giants Professor. Let me make sure I get his plug here. Giants Professor, at Giants Professor on Twitter. All right. We're listen- you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. On the Talking Mets podcast, we like to discuss the latest baseball innovation, like when national baseball writer and author Rob Nyer discussed the future of starting pitching. It turns out, I think teams are realizing, or at least believing, I think they're right, but I could be wrong, um, is that it doesn't make any sense to shove pitchers into this box, starting pitcher, box that, that, that requires the pitcher to give you five or six or ideally seven or eight innings. Very few teams have five guys like that who, who can give you those innings and be good. And I think that we're only going to see more and more of that. I will be surprised, and I'll be—I'm <laughs> happy to be surprised, but I'll be surprised if if uh, if bullpenning doesn't explode. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Hope you enjoyed this segment with Jeff Lax as well as Rustin Dodd. I uh, I really enjoy that uh, 77 WABC uh, talking sports. I think they have some good chemistry there. It's not as serious as this show gets sometimes. I think sometimes I get into the the the, the really the the weeds here with baseball and and maybe there's a little bit of org speak and GM speak and and they have more fun and what have you. Uh, but that's what they do. I do what I do here on the podcast, and I think there's a value to what they do. And they do it in a way where I don't think they're compromising uh, some intellectual talk and really getting out their thoughts on the fans and whatnot. And really, let's face it, in this town, WFAN has been a, a monopoly for a long time. ESPN 98.7 really hasn't cracked into it. And if 77 has found something here on Saturday nights, uh, more more power to them. It's good for all of us. It's more content. And there's a lot of content out there, but it's more good content. And there's a need for that. So I always enjoy being on those guys' show, having Jeff, and maybe we'll get Jonathan on as time goes on as well on this program and what have you. So there's that. Uh, as far as Rustin Dodd, Pete Alonzo, got to love uh, the whole story of Pete Alonzo, the work ethic. Just a year ago at this time, we were talking about David Wright leaving and who would replace David Wright. And it was like, well, there's Conforto. You know, Nimmo's kind of this energizer bunny, but it's really either, if it's not Conforto, it's going to be one of the pitchers like DeGrom, and a pitcher really can't be the team leader. And everybody was scratching their heads, and, and here's this guy right under everybody's nose. He was hitting home runs in the minor leagues, hitting home runs in the Futures game. And he wasn't really even touted. There was all these questions about him. I remember having uh, the AFL show back in October and asking, uh, what is it, Bernie Pleskoff, saying, can this guy really play? And he was like, yeah, he can hit 270 in the big leagues. And that's kind of what he's doing. And he's getting on base and he's hitting home runs at a, a prodigious rate. So the story is 
a fairy tale and you're waiting for the catch and you hope there isn't a catch, is there something about him we're missing? Is the personality sincere? It seems like it. And he fits the Mets. The Mets don't Mets and Mets fans don't want page six players. They don't like page six players. Matt Harvey was a page six type player, tried to be. Fans, even when he was at his best, he had happy Harvey Day and everything. They never really felt him. There was always that arm's length to a certain degree because they always felt that he was... They were a, a way station until they got to his final destination, which was the Yankees in page six. Pete Alonso, you feel like, oh, this is the kind of place he wants to be. He wants to take this team that in this fan base that's so hungry to get back to the promised land that came so close a few years ago, and he wants to lead them. And, and that's really cool, and that's fun. And uh, I think the Mets have found their... They're their next David Wright, and so far it's only been less than a year. He's uh, he's a better hitter than David Wright ever was at any of his great seasons, and I'm not exaggerating that. You know, look at the numbers. I think OPS plus he's top ten, and maybe Wright had one season he came close. Um, he's more Piazza, who was a better hitter than Wright uh, than you know than Wright. You know, at this point, so. Uh, different players. I know I'm, I shouldn't get into that whole conversation, and that's not what, how I want to wrap up. But to me, Pete Alonso, uh, the Mets knew what they had. As I said to Jeff Lax, maybe the offseason would be a little bit different, especially with both Alonzo and McNeil, how good they've been. Anyway, uh, what about the show? So as we head down the stretch, uh, the Mets are kind of like in this position where they could be out of this thing very quickly if things go south, and then we're looking towards 2020. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a show next Sunday. Let's hope there's no news like the gut punch loss that we have to jump in in the middle of the week here and and, and kind of do a, a special edition or a short. Uh, but I think that we'll at least have a, a postmortem whenever this thing starts to look like it's it's slipping away. And then the real question will be after that, because you have the end of this homestand, the road trip, and then the final homestand, and then the season ends or there's postseason, is what's going to go on with the manager. And I think you're going to find that out in the next two by the last day of the season. You'll find out, and then that would be the real conversation. If he stays, it'll be a conversation. If he goes, it'll be a conversation. And then once that's solved, you get into the roster in 2020 if there is no postseason. So that's the plan for the podcast. There'll still be some more good content. Hopefully the Mets have a really good week. And uh, next Sunday we're talking about a really wild, wild card race where you have four teams jammed up. And I think the league really needs that because there's so much garbage out there now, so much tanking and so much applause for it that I, I think this wild card should be something they'd be promoting about, hey, to owners in various cities, hey, this could be you trying to get in and making the tournament. And you can do this without compromising your development, without compromising uh, any kind of uh, equity you've built with your farm system and, and in scouting and analytics and, and so on and so forth. So anyway, that's where we'll wrap up. Hey, we're out of time, but I want to thank Rustin Dodd of The Athletic. Of course, I want to thank Jeff Lax. Check him out on 77 WABC from 10.30 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. every Saturday. Of course, I want to thank you who listen to the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out over at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show at the Talking Mets podcast.com. Send me a tweet, of course, like I said, or leave me a review on Apple. I'd greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Take care, everybody.
gallon gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.